because I believe science might offer an answer to the curse of the Bambino. Why someone took so long to hire that guy is beyond me. Anybody who's not tearing their team down right now and rebuilding it using your model, they're dinosaurs. One of the great things about money is it, it buys a lot of things. One of which is the luxury to disregard what baseball likes, doesn't like, what baseball thinks, doesn't think. It's a threatening, not just a way of doing business, but, it's, but in their minds, it's threatening the game. How can you not be romantic about baseball? All right, Brent Porcio here on another Baseball Ops podcast. On the show today, we've got um, another great baseball mind, and we've got a doctor here, and I'm going to let them kind of introduce themselves. So thanks for being on the show. We've got uh, Chris Marlowe and Dr. Kevin Farmer. And uh, why don't we start with Chris? Uh, introduce yourself. All right. So my name is Chris Marlowe. Um, you may have seen me as Light Tower Baseball Training. Um, I've been kind of doing private baseball training instruction since about 2001. Uh, started off in the Orlando area and kind of moved up to the Gainesville area now. Um, born and raised in Central Florida. And then uh, played baseball at Brevard Community College under Ernie Rosso, probably one of the best hitting hitting guys, hitting gurus around. Um, uh, played uh, or coach trained under uh, Joe Logan, um, Dennis Forbes, um, guys that are known in the baseball world. Uh, you know, Joe, he goes, him and Barry Larkin and Ken Griffey Jr. go all over the country doing kind of USA baseball stuff, uh, teaching baseball to different countries. So i uh, been around the game a while. I have learned from some great instructors, and uh, that's kind of my background. All right, and you're also friends with John Madden. <laughs> yes, childhood friends. We grew up together. All those stories that he was telling about the way he grew up and his dad, they were 100% accurate. That's really cool. His he's dad was definitely one of the coolest guys. <laughs> well, so is John. He's a good dude. Well, Dr. Farmer, uh, give us an introduction, if you don't mind. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me. I'm uh, Kevin Farmer from University of Florida. I'm the uh, team physician for the uh, Florida Gators. Uh, obviously, uh, 2017 national champions baseball. Uh, take care of a lot of uh, former Gator athletes and professional athletes. Have a passion for baseball. I, I played also played uh, collegiately at Duke, so I've been a big baseball guy my whole life, and uh, you know, love uh, lo- love the game, being around it, and and and. Side note, uh, Chris uh, coaches my son, so I've seen firsthand uh, how good of a coach he is. So you guys were fortunate to have him on here to, to pick his brain as well. So, w- awesome. So, what do you? Um, what's your specialty? Uh, like, w- can you get into kind of your your medical background? Yeah. So, uh, orthopedic sports medicine. So, I did my training at the um, orthopedic training at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore. And so while I was there, I worked with uh, covering the Orioles, worked with the Orioles uh, team and minor league team, helped with some spring training stuff. Um, I did a sports fellowship down in Miami where I worked with the uh, University of Miami and University of Miami baseball team um, while I was down there. And then I did a second kind of year fellowship in shoulder um, shoulder reconstruction. So I'm sort of a shoulder specialist, but um, I, sports is my main thing. I, I'm also the team doctor for – uh, Florida Gator football team, so uh, kind of a, a whole variation of sports. But as far as uh, scientific principles and, and whatnot, uh, baseball has always been my passion. Well, I'm pretty excited to have you on. Um, well, good. So we're going to jump into this. The, we had a good, kind of a good format that 
Chris gave us here. Um, and, and I think what we'll do is let's, let's just kind of just talk about the importance of biomechanics. Like, um, uh, Chris, start off talking about like, what, what value do you think that brings to the skill of baseball? Like how, how, how good do we really need to understand biomechanics and, and, you know, and how, uh, the body moves m efficiently and effectively to, to enhance performance and, and reduce injury? Yes. Um, I forgot to say in my introduction, but I'm also a licensed physical therapist. I've been a physical therapist uh, since 2007. So I feel like when I evaluate a kid or I work with a kid, I really look at the joints, the angles, the, the range of motion, and I try to see what's working and what's not working. Now, as you know, when we play baseball, we don't throw on our knees. You know, we've got to be good movers first. And I kind of feel like that's one of, one of the most important things that's overlooked a lot of times with these velocity programs is at the end of the day you got to be able to move you know there's a kid in Orlando right now who throws 97 he's one of the top guys in the state and I asked as a coach trainer I said you know what what is it about him is his external rotation so much compared to his internal is his hip range of motion is it that much different than everybody else and, and his answer to me was he's just an excellent mover so you know the way the body moves you know, the, the core is kind of the foundation. You know, you've got to have a strong core. you got to be able to move, you know. And I feel like everyone just focuses on the arm when there's so much more to that. You know, there's, as people have heard, you know, there's a correlation between, you know, hip, decreased hip range of motion and the increased rate of UCL tear. So, obviously, there's a connection there. You know, it can't all be just about the arm. So um, I think it's a great point, that's, and that's a good place to start. Doctor, what would you like to add on that when it comes to biomechanics, and, and how important is that to the skill? Yeah, Chris has done a good job really implementing, uh, looking at the, the total uh, kinetic chain. You know, it's something that I took interest in about six years ago. We had one of our pitchers at, at, uh, at UF who had bilateral hip problems, and once we addressed that and got through that, you know, about two months later in the season, he tore his UCL and had to have Tommy John surgery. And it kind of led me to start wondering, you know, are there things in the, you know, we always focus on the shoulder and the, and the elbow as being, you know, the, the risk factors for kinetic problems, but started looking down the kinetic chain. And, and so I started looking um, at, at, at the hip range of motion, as Chris mentioned, and, uh, and then our players. And about five years ago, I did a study looking at hip range of motion in our starting pitchers and then correlating that, we took them through a biomechanical uh, analysis where it was kind of high-speed um, evaluations. And those, you, know, you see the stick figures where they put the little um, beads on, they, they can make the, the stick figures, they can do the evaluation. And we found that the pitchers that had decreased hip range of motion had biomechanical um, flaws in their throwing cycle that put them at risk for elbow injury. We know there are certain... Um, flaws in the mechanics, opening your hip too early, having your elbow too flexed at, at ball release, things like that that are known risk factors for elbow problems. And we found very good correlation between lack of hip uh, lack of hip motion and, and those kinetic flaws. So it really opened my eyes that it's the entire kinetic chain that, that matters, not just the shoulder, not just the elbow. You know, it may go down all the way down to, you know, at foot strike when your, when your lead foot lands as far as how that lands and how that stresses the rest of the kinetic chain. So, um, yeah, I agree 100% that, it, yeah, look at the whole picture, look from top to bottom, 
Yeah, I mean, in, in you know, my research says the same. I, I think one case where I looked at where there, they show that there was a one-to-one relationship between the hip and shoulder. So basically, if if your hip lacks mobility or your mobility or strength, then you typically can directly f- affect your shoulders' integrity and strength. And don't you think that this goes more in depth to how the body is engineered and and really these fascial slings, these fascial slings that kind of move through the body kind of like uh like a slingshot like where everything's interconnected through the, the the fascial tissue do you think that has a lot to do with it yeah ahead, uh, I'll, I'll let you first i'll let chris sorry i'll let chris go but yeah i agree 100 percent uh it, it, the soft tissue the connections um you know there, there's only been one study looking at in major league players looking at uh hip problems and uh, there were eight major league players who had to have hip arthroscopy for hip issues. And out of those eight, six of them ended up having Tommy John surgery. So it's pretty clear that uh, the connection between the lower and the upper extremity and the soft tissues, as you said, the fascial slings and, and all these things as to how they have an effect downstream. Yeah, and you know, um, I had David Ardsma. He was a, played for 14 different major league teams, 10 years in the bigs. He, uh, he tore – his left hip labrum tore his right hip uh, abduct or adductor, and uh, I think he had three total surgeries. And after the last one, within a month, he had to have Tommy John surgery. And I asked him because you know I've always believed that connection. Like if if your legs are breaking down, if you have some leg injury, you're 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 very vulnerable to an arm injury. And I asked him, I said. What did you really notice before the Tommy John happened after that last surgery that, that you think led to it? He goes, the one thing I noticed, I kept telling my coaches that my arm was moving faster than it ever moved before, and he didn't understand why he was throwing so slow. Um, and, and then all of a sudden, he's having Tommy John surgery. And then I actually was able to go back to his footage from that year and put it through. I have a 2D motion capture system, and I could actually, in a way, kind of um, you know, roughly – uh, capture or measure the arm speeds and I, and I then correlated it to previous footage of him before the injuries and his arm speeds were incredible. Like, I mean, look like 2000 degrees per second faster, like considerably faster when he was throwing about 10 miles an hour slower. So it was a really eye opening for him and me at the time that that's the problem. If you have some type of lower half injury uh, or, you know, your lower half is breaking down that, your arm can be overcompensating. And we have a lot of studies, specifically the Kibler and Chandler studies, show that that's what happens. And when, when you know, so therefore you think you're throwing as hard as you were throwing because your arm speeds are there, but the energy's not coming up the chain. And then all of a sudden now you're incredibly vulnerable to injury. Um, Chris, what do you think? You think uh, all this, we're on the right track here? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I pitched, like, um, you know, I graduated high school in 99 and then played college ball in 99 to 01. And when I pitched, you know, all this research wasn't out. I remember when I was in school, even physical therapy school, they wanted us to look up a journal article and review it. And I typed in baseball and there wasn't very much out even in 05, you know, at least that was in our database, but definitely not in 2000, 2001. But I remember when I pitched, I had elbow pain, medial elbow pain. And I remember my my hip my left hip would always hurt when I pitched and it was that pinch and pain. So I knew there had to be some type of correlation there, but I mean, back in 2000, if you were to say, Oh, the hip and the arm, you know, creates velocity, you know, they'd call you crazy, you know? So it was like one of those things that 
through the years, you know, finally people are starting to look down or up the chain, you know, to really figure out what's going on. And, and they've done a great job. I mean, when you watch baseball back in the day, you know, rarely did guys throw, you know, high nineties. Now every pitcher on the staff throws high nineties. So, you know, they're figuring things out, the most efficient arm path, you know, what needs to happen, what needs to be tight or strong, what needs to be loose, you know, so they've done a great job. And, um, so, yeah, and I think, don't you think it's accurate to, to teach through something like a a simple analogy of like a whip? And we've heard this, a whip analogy our our whole lives, but a lot of people just applied it to the arm. It's really, understanding the whip and even your arm moving the whip is is a representation of the entire body and and, and if you look at it that way then the arm is just the end of the whip and, and the, it's the afterthought right, right. yes yeah. and if if the arm is the end of the whip why are we so obsessed with going to the end to make our changes and if because right. if you're using a whip you're going to make all your changes in the handle of the whip or, or the core of the whip or the center of mass um don't you think that's that's the better mentality Oh, yes, definitely. I mean, when I have kids that come and do put pitching lessons, they can't even get to a balance point, you know, and then I, when they can get to the balance point, I'm like, all right, what's your next action? And, you know, I hear all kind of crazy stuff. But at the end of the day, like you're pushing off, you know, if you're yeah. pushing off, your arm has got to come. If you're popping the hip or you're thrusting the hip, the arm has got to come through. There's no way you can thrust the hip and keep the arm back, you know, so it, like it starts from the bottom up. You can't start with the shoulder or the elbow and then work down, you know, so. Yeah, My, definitely the mechanics and figuring out, you know, the body, how the body wakes, works from the feet up, I think is the key. My favorite study was is Kibler and Chandler. They calculated that a, uh, thir- a 20% decrease of kinetic energy delivered through the hip and trunk to the arm requires a 34% increase in the rotational velocity of the shoulder just to keep the same force on the hand. So it's basically almost showing that it's it's close to a the the energy coming up the chain is almost worth double the energy that you can create in your arm. It's it's almost that bad or the, the ex, you know that, that that I mean if you're caught in that equation and you're just focusing in the up the end of the chain you're there's no way you can keep up and and don't you believe Dr. Farmer like this is where all these arm injuries come from these methods of teaching kids to accelerate the end of the chain and not drive the energy up the chain? Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. Uh, I think if you lose track of, of of the lower half and only focus on the upper half, you know, we know pretty clearly that uh, you know, those kids with shoulder issues have a high incidence of elbow issues. We know they're closely correlated up there, and, and so the same thing can be said from, from the hip. And as you guys, you know, mention and talk about this i think about you know rory mcelroy won you know, one of the uh players this weekend he's a one of the smallest guys in the tour but he's driving the ball 360 and that's strictly because of his ability to, to to master and harness that kinetic energy from his hips into his arms so the golf club is, is sort of the end of the of the, the chain but all that power is coming through the hips and, and it's the same thing that you guys going out with pitching you know the other thing that study we did that i haven't published yet we took our guys and we looked at hip range of motion preseason and postseason. This was a couple of years ago. We also looked at the, uh, the abductor strength, so the, you know, your, basically your butt muscles, how the strength changed over the course of the season. And we found that over the course of the season, players actually lost hip range of motion and lost uh, abductor strength in their hips. 
So potentially you have a modifiable risk factor that if, that if pitching coaches and strength coaches and athletic trainers can keep an eye on, that maybe you can modify and, and avoid that loss of motion of course of the season that may put these kids at risk for energy injury that we see usually at the end of the season that we've always just correlated with fatigue. It actually may be just due to biomechanical changes that we're not staying on top of. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a great point. I find a lot of kids – specifically through a long season, they want to more than likely due to the fatigue on the back leg. Because let's face it, this is a unilateral drive leg movement, the majority of the delivery. And that leg's going to more than likely fatigue probably quicker than the other leg. I mean, that would be a good study to look at. But if that leg's fatiguing, what I find is kids want to just spin and rotate as opposed to drive. And then the musculature starts to adapt to just rotating. And I've, I get a lot of kids out of season coming in here, and I do a lateral jump assessment. And they almost every time, they jump shorter on their drive leg than on their landing leg. Do you believe that it, it, there could be a correlation to just the wear and tear to that hip to the loss of you know performance in it? Yeah, no, I do. I, I do. And we, we've incorporated, since we looked at that uh, here at UF, we've incorporated you know, just like – all of us do arm care and arm range of motion and your posterior capsule stretching for on your throwing shoulder. We've incorporated a, a hip lower extremity range of motion and, and strengthening program during the course of the season, just like we do for the shoulder. And I think it really has been beneficial. Right. And you know what I find too, and, and, and this has just been a lot of just me being 43, still training with these guys. I get a lot of um, low back tightness. I can feel my fascia bunching in my low back, and it literally pulls me into this slouching, or I wouldn't say slouching, but this overextended posture. And then I start really having hip pain, and then I start having scap pain. But when I can elongate that and stretch and get my posture into better position, I feel both a release in my hip and in my shoulder. Um, I mean, like, like I said, like you were saying, we focus on arm care. Don't we need to be putting them together? Like it's gotta be arm care and hip care at the same time. They have to be as one. Wouldn't you say that's a better approach? Yeah. I'll let Chris, Chris is a great person to answer this, you know, having this background in PT and also in throwing analysis. But yeah, I, I would agree a hundred percent with that, that. That should be part of, of your, your regimen throughout the season and off season. Yeah. Chris, what do you say? I mean, I love the program that you do as far as the medicine balls. You know, you're throwing off the mound. You're throwing from different surfaces. Um, you know, with that, you, you've got to learn how to make your body move. And, and like we talked about earlier, the, the arm action or the, or the throw with the medicine ball with two hands, it, it's, it's, it's an afterthought. It, it, it's the result of everything else moving right. Um, if they're throwing that ball into the dirt, they know they didn't move properly. So, yeah, I mean – uh, there's a guy in Orlando, Chuck Wolf. He's worked with some major league uh, baseball players. And the first thing he does is he assesses the feet. You know, he looks at the feet. He looks at the ankle stability. Um, and then he goes up to the hip. And uh, he had uh, uh, the, the green guy who pitches for the Tigers. And he took him. I think he came back after working with him throwing 94-95, you know, because, he, you know, he assessed the lower half. He really didn't touch too much on the arm. Um but uh, a quick story, when my brother ran West Orange High School in Orlando, which probably had the hardest throwers in the whole Southeast when it came to high school baseball. Um, great pitching guy, tremendous pitching knowledge. But when, when I was down there working with some of the young, when they were younger, 
there was a, a golf pro there. Uh, his name was Brian Mogg, and, and he came and he talked at one of the events, and uh, he was talking about Tiger Woods and, and uh, Tiger Woods' caddy, and, and they knew each other. They were friends when Tiger was younger, and he said, do you know what makes Tiger Woods the greatest golfer in the game? And everybody was like, oh, his shoulder strength, his hand-eye coordination. And he said, no, what makes Tiger Woods the greatest golfer in the game was his ability to hold the ground and generate force through the ground. And that's kind of always stuck with me. I mean, you've got to be able to generate force through the ground. And if you watch even Little League games, even travel ball games at a young age, the kids who struggle or the kids whose feet are all over the ground, you know, their legs are going one way, knees are going, you know, their feet, ankles, they're just all over the place. So with hitting, you know, which is a lot of complex movements, you know, a lot of moving parts, you know, it's got to translate to pitching too. You know, you've got to be able to hold the ground and generate force through the ground. That's yeah. where it's stuff. That's why, I mean, I know it's controversial and it's challenging, but that's why I love teaching kids how to Olympic lift because if you, if you are going to be, have any success in Olympic lifting, you have to be able to work well with the ground and, Build a build a foundation there and be able to generate force through there, and it just it's just a great platform to transfer into the skills of, of baseball, uh, like like exactly why we say. But it's not easy. It's hard to do. Um, what let's let's talk about these methods of training baseball players and how I I believe they're flawed because they don't have this foundation of the lower half. You know, when we look at anything extreme, I find anything extreme throwing like you know extreme distance throwing. You know like even a weighted ball throwing if we get into or aggressive or velocity based weighted ball throwing if we get into um, even like running throws you know anything i find outside of the skill where biomechanically you're outside of the skill of pitching or throwing um and you're you're kind of more focused on overloading the end of the chain as opposed to the beginning of the chain dr farmer like what's your opinion on these these kind of extreme throwing methods to enhance performance <clears throat> You know, I, I think that they have a role, but they have to be closely monitored. I think kids get into trouble and they go out and buy a weighted ball and go to the backyard <laughs> and try to do that on their own. I think that, that could be problematic. You know, there was a study recently um, that took 40 high-level pitchers and randomized into a weighted ball program um, and, and a non-weighted ball program over six weeks, and they found the weighted ball program did increase the velocity in that group, but it also led to increased shoulder uh, external rotation in that group, which we know is a risk factor for certain injuries, and they had a higher incidence of elbow problems in that group. So there certainly is, can be benefit, but it's got to be done correctly. And I think you know doing that with uh, with coaches or people who are knowledgeable in mechanics are important. Same thing with long toss. You know, studies looking at long toss mechanics show that. Um, if on flat ground, longer distances, keeping high velocity, it puts enormous amount of stress on the shoulder and elbow. And that stress is mitigated off the mound to some extent, and it's also mitigated by employing a crow hop. So, you know, again, having some people that are knowledgeable in how to do it correctly, I think, goes a long way in minimizing the risk of injury and then maximizing the improvement that they can obtain through it. And, and I think correctly goes into biomechanics. Is when you when you say correctly, does that mean biomechanically sound? Yes, one hundred percent. Yes. Well, Chris, like, give your opinion on that as far as is what your what's your meaning of correctly perform or properly performing these, and, and and what do you believe in using these kind of extreme methods? I mean, it's to me, you can't 
you can't cookie cutter it. You just, you can't say, all right, I'm going to take this group. I'm going to take my nine to 12 year old kids and we're only going to do weighted balls. And I'm going to take this group and only do, you know, a long toss program. I mean, to me, every, everybody's built different. I mean, you can look at a 12 year old kid and one of them's already shaven and the other one, you know, doesn't even have muscle tone yet. So, you know, I think you have to look at the body. Um, I do think that, one of my things is, is the, the weighted ball program. I mean, you know, down there in Orlando, there's a guy, uh, Barrett Stover. He has a RSP uh, sports performance. He's out of uh, Claremont, but he, he just finished the program. And some of the guys did make significant gains. Now, those guys are in high school, you know, junior, seniors, you know, they're already great athletes. So that's that's a population you can do it with. But I'm like you, like there's almost needs to be a warning label on them, you know, where you can't purchase it till you're only, you know, this age. Because I hear people all the time, oh, I went out and bought my son weighted balls. And I was like, your kid can't even throw right. Why are you giving them a weighted ball? You know, so I think they have to have sound mechanics if you're going to go over that route. But then again, it definitely needs, needs to be supervised by somebody who understands mechanics and what what has to happen and what should happen. Uh, my thing is, is the weighted balls. What? What are you trying to do with that? Like, is it, are you trying to strengthen muscle? Because if, if you are, then there's an easier way. You can go to the gym, you can do curls, you know, you can do, you know, weightlifting exercises are, um, that are much, much safer. But also, or we, but we also have studies showing that it, it, it actually is weakening the shoulder, uh -huh. specifically in external rotation strength. Um, so you're right. I mean, th you, then we need to look at the studies. If you think it, a lot of people think it's speeding the arm up. A lot of people think it's strengthening arm, but we're not seeing that in the studies. Don't ha have you noticed that? Uh, well, well, my thing is, is what are you trying to? What what's the theory behind it? Because you're not going to strengthen the UCL. You know, like that's right. a ligament. Like you cannot strengthen ligaments, and I think people don't understand that. And you know, of course, having a medical background, you know. We, even doing a little bit of reading, you, you can't strengthen the UCL. Right. You know, you have to strengthen the muscles around it or, you know, the, the And is, the and is the throwing body. strengthening? Because a lot of the studies I see, throwing over time is weakening. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. It's like, uh, I think it was uh, Dr. Sean. Oh, that guy's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I can listen to that <laughs> podcast right. over and over he again. Is. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he, 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 was, he was talking about, you know, baseball is not a, a, not a healthy sport for the body. Right. You know, you're asking your body to do things that it's not it doesn't naturally do, you know, throw overhead and and, and this constant rotation. So, um, well, Doc, yeah. Dr. Farmer, what do you think is throwing and even throwing with weighted baseballs? Is that strengthening? Uh, um, uh, I don't think it really is doing much strengthening. You know, there, there tends to be an imbalance in the throwers. Shoulders, you know, Kibler's work, as you mentioned, that shows that the anterior muscles tend to overpower the posterior muscles. But that ratio is pretty consistent. Uh, uh, the guys out of Birmingham, the uh, American Sports Medicine Center, have shown that the ratio of strength anterior to posterior, if that gets thrown off, then you're at higher risk for shoulder or elbow problems. So, you know, I, I think you're not careful and then what's how you're doing it or or you know if you're throwing away the ball and that tends to maybe strengthen the anterior rotator cuff because of having that that, that kind of coming out of late talking um and you, you lose that balance between the, the anterior and posterior musculature then that's a, a definitively known risk factor 
for injury. So I think throwing in general is not usually a strengthening phenomenon, but but I think when you add the weight to it, it may, but it also may be uh, pathologically strengthening and not not kind of doing things correctly. Right, and I even find it, is it accurate to say it, it can be weakening? Because, I mean, if you look at the external rotation range, it, it starts to increase. Is that a sign of laxity or, or is that a sign of strength? Yeah, so yeah, it's a sign of laxity if you're, you know, your anterior capsule and in theory, I guess, your anterior musculature. So, yeah, so I guess you could say that there is a combination of soft tissue laxity, which, you know, which, uh, again, has been something for years that we've known as a problem, and it kind of ended, like, you know, oral hersizer's career from anterior capsular laxity, um, and so we've known that for a long time. And then the combination of potentially weakening the muscles due to that, you know, muscles, as you guys know, are designed to work at a certain uh, muscle tension length ratio. You start changing that, um, and that throws off the kinetics yeah, and, and, and I mean, I think that's the thing here. I think for years, it's been since the beginning of time, it's arm strength, right, in quotes. Like, he's got good arm strength, or you need to work on arm strength. And then it typically correlates to throwing um, or, or how, how he is throwing. And I think this is all misconceptions. I, you know, I believe it's completely void of how the body works and how the body develops itself. Um, I mean, and don't you think that's – I mean, if that's true, then a lot of these – conventional protocols out there are, are more than likely linked to the high injury rate. I mean, would y'all agree? Go ahead, Dr. Barmer. Uh, yeah, I, I would. I mean, certainly we know that the uh, the rate of UCL uh, injuries is uh, going up and continues to go up. And part of that's volume and overuse, but probably a large part of that is just the changing of uh, – of the training regimen and, and to maybe using unsound methods. So I, I would agree to that 100%. Chris, what do you think is driving up the injury still today? You know, I hear a lot about overuse, overuse, overuse. I mean, I don't know if you can make a blanket statement and say that there's too much throwing going on. Because to me, we've, we've created kind of that monster that, oh, we don't want to throw, we don't want to throw. And it's almost like I see kids that don't throw enough. And then they come into the season and their body's not prepared. And even, and, and not only that, but they don't know how to throw hard. You know, that was, it's kind of like uh, swinging. Like you've got you've to swing the bat hard to, to let your body figure out how it needs to move. And I think... I see all the times, especially with infielders, I'll be like, all right, you know, let's let's uh, field a backhand and throw it across the diamond. And they just they have they don't know how to get their body to do that. So it's almost like we've pounded in their heads that, you know, you're throwing too much, you're throwing too much, that they really don't know how to throw hard and they don't know how to get their body moving. Well, so, I, mean, I do. I do like with the. Well, uh, Dr. Samir, uh, he's, I think he's a DPT. I think I like what he did with. Um, Moda's sleeve and, and and talking about how it's more to do with stress management than really just volume. I think volume yes. is a part of stress management, but more has to do with, yeah, look, I mean, if you're resting a lot and then jumping up and throwing a seven-inning game, you know, that's not good either, even though you're getting all that rest in there. It's really how you're managing the stress on that tissue, wouldn't you believe? Yes, and it's like uh, I think Ron Wolfler said, if you – if you throw a hundred, if you do a hundred push-ups at one time, is that the same as doing ten sets of ten push-ups? Right. You know, and that's kind of how I I try to manage pitchers. Like if he's going out there and he throws 
six innings and he's 12, 15 pitches every inning compared to his first inning, he throws 35, his next inning, he throws 30, you know, and then he's down to 12 and then back up to 30, you know, like that's, that's not the same stress on the arm. I, you know, I feel like we do, we, we always ask the kid or we always tell the kid, we'll do 10 of those or do 12 of those or 15 or two sets of 10. And to me, that's the wrong approach. I think more of uh in physical therapy, we use the RPE scale, a rate of perceived exertion scale, where on a scale of zero to 10, zero is you didn't feel anything, 10, you're exhausted or, or you really worked hard. Where are you on that scale? And telling a kid, hey, I want you to do this drill till you feel you're at a seven, seven or eight, then we'll do something else or we'll let you rest. I feel that's a better way because, I mean, 10 for this, a set of 10 for this 10 year old kid is different than a set of 10 for this 12 year old kid or a 10 year old kid. You know, it's just different bodies, different levels of strength, endurance. And I feel like if we went to that. Well, I think you're right. I think if you look at the like ASMI or a lot of the studies that put together uh, probabilities of injury, you know, you saw like throwing eight months, more than eight months out of the year, you're eight times more likely to have injury. You know, playing travel ball, you were like, I don't know, like seven times more likely to have injury. But if you looked at all those, and it was tons of different ways of overusing your body, but when you looked at the one key one that it said, if you throw fatigue, you're 36 times more likely to have injury. It was, the probability was so much higher. And, and fatigue doesn't really correlate to volume. It just correlates to you where you are in that acute right. moment of stress. I mean, Dr. Farmer, what's your opinion on that? Yeah, and as Chris said, that, that, that point at which you fatigue may be directly correlated to the kind of shape you're in. So if you're, if you're building in this, this long rest period and, and you're, you know, you're not in the, in the shape you were you know, the previous season, then maybe you're more easily fatigued early on, and that, and that in and of itself could be a risk factor. And we have you know, plenty of studies looking at throwers in a, in a simulated game that show at the end of a simulated game the biomechanics start to break down as fatigue increases, and where that point happens, I think, was what Chris's point is, is variable based on the athlete. It's also variable based on the kind of shape that they're in. You, know, you have you know guys like Nolan Ryan who have been proponents of, of volume, 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 but you know they have the mechanics and, and the they're in the, you know, the shape to be able to tolerate that. I think it, it, each person needs to be individualized in that regard. Yeah, and you know some guys, you know everybody's different. Like you know, hear the stories of like Ryan and other major league pitchers that can throw every day, can train every day, and it actually probably was the best thing for them. And then you have, you know, I had guys here that couldn't handle that. They couldn't handle that volume every day. So you're right. Everyone is going to adapt different to what stress that they can potentially put on their body, and that has to do with how the whole makeup of, of the system really works. Um, so, you know, I guess we let's try to close this. Let's close it on. Like, what are some things for parents that are listening to this? Because I think when I'm talking to experts like you guys, I, I, I'm hoping that the beginners are listening. Because the beginners are, unfortunately, I think the ones we can influence the best. And we can really help them avoid serious injury, which ends careers, unfortunately, in this sport. Like, like I had my career, I tore my rotator cuff at 18. So I want to speak to those parents and those young kids. More than likely, it's going to be parents. What, what can we give them? What advice can we give them to not... Uh, to not walk blindly into this and, and wind up in, in some operating room with their 17-year-old kid. Uh, let's start with, with uh, Dr. Farmer. Like, what, what good advice can we give the parents starting off with this? Uh, I would certainly recommend uh, trying to find somebody in your area who, who's knowledgeable and 
in the training regimens, the mechanics, you know, the, the proper way of, of, of going through uh, the progression into, you know, high velocity throwing. Um, you know, I would educate yourself in, in the recommendations for for pitch counts and all those different things, even though, as we've said, it, it, it's not, you know, cut, it's not a cookie-cutter kind of deal. You want to individualize it. But I, I we did a study here looking at uh, parents who brought kids in and found that about – 60% had no idea how many pitches their kids threw in a week and what the recommendations were. And, and these are kids who played different multiple leagues. So, you know, you think about if, if one kid's throwing in one league and playing catcher in the next, so you lose track of how much they're doing, then, you know, then that's where you can get into trouble with the fatigue and all that. So having some knowledge of, of what the recommendations are, and more importantly, keeping a close track of what your kid's doing because, you know, you, you're going to be your kid's best advocate on, on to how much they've done and what they're doing and, and making sure they don't get in a position where they get fatigued and at risk for injury. How about you, Chris? Yeah, I think that's a great answer to me. You know, c- communication. You know, communicate with your kid. And a lot of times after – when he first gets in the car, he'll tell you what happened that day. You know, if he comes in there and he's like, oh, my arm's sore, and he's doing that two, three practices in a row, then you may have to have a little bit of a talk with that coach or send an email, but let, you know, communicate with your kid, find out what's going on. But like Dr. Farmer said, you've got to get with a program or you've got to get with a coach trainer that, that has been down that road before. I see a lot of, a lot of guys that, you know, they're kind of, I hate to go off on a different subject, but they've watched a few YouTube videos or something like that. And all of a sudden they're pitching experts or, or pitching coaches, you know, you've got to get around coaches that have resources to reach out to also that, that have, have worked with kids at your age and have, have developed kids at your age and kind of seen what, where they should be at or, or, or the similarities between other guys they worked with. And, uh, you know, just have been in this business and have great experience, not one year experience, 10 times, but maybe, uh, you know, uh, 10 years experience or one year experience, you know, the same, whatever it is, I'm kind of getting yeah. off, but anyways, where they've been around and, and experienced, you know, um, but, yeah. but let yeah. your, you know, communicate with your child, communicate with your coach, find out what, what his beliefs are. Is he, you know, just out there to curveball your kid to death? Um, and a curveball is another subject we can get on, you know? Right. But, yeah. I mean, my advice has always been like with a lot of these parents is, you know, don't come in with these time limits or, or don't go into this with time limits of like, we need to, we want to get here by this time. Also, d- don't look for like, the easy road in a lot of this, I, I would even caution against really doing your home or, or not doing your homework, making sure you do your homework and make sure you're, if you, if it's even requiring a good investment, getting someone that you know uh, has a, some good experience and professionalism around it because it's worth it. I, I think if you go in this and you're just trying to, like you said, watch a bunch of YouTube videos and put it all together and try to put it in a short amount of time and try to force a, a result, I think those are the, all the kids that wind up seriously injured. So yes. unfortunately, I think this is something you got to like buy in a car. You got to sit down. You got to research everybody. You got to be willing to spend some money. And, and if if you really believe your kid has a talent in this and you want them to have a long career, I think unfortunately, I don't think there's any other way to do it. Would y'all agree? Right. Yeah, I agree. I mean, quick story. I had a, a parent who said, "Hey, my son, uh, I think I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to sign him up for this weighted ball program. Come, you know, it's outside of Florida." I was like, "Oh yeah." And I was like, how old is your kid? And he said, nine. And he's like, his velocity is lower. His velocity is lower than everybody on his team. And I was like, who cares how kid, how hard your kid is throwing at nine years old? Who cares how hard he's throwing at 10 years old? 
You know, like, let's let's not be so short sighted. Let's look at the big picture. You know, like John Madden said, you know, he wasn't a great you know, he wasn't a great stud baseball player when he was younger. But then when he got in high school and the hormones kicked in and all that, like he was throwing 94 miles an hour, you know, like, I, you know, in the 90s. Uh, you know, I've seen them throw in the 90s, you know, so a lot, you know, parents just don't be so short sighted. Don't think that you have to your kid has to be the, the best 10 year old or the best 11 year old or even best 12 year old. You know, let your kid develop. It's a process. It's not, you know, right in front of you right at that moment. So I think it's good advice. So how about for so them to get good information from everybody? Um, are, Dr. Farmer, are you are you available for anyone to reach out to you or do you have any resources that they can go to? Yeah, I'm sure I'm available. Um, you know, on Twitter, I, you know, I, email is uh, farmekw at ortho.ufl.edu. We have some resources on our website just based on some of our biomechanical studies and, and some, you know, obviously fish count recommendations if, if anyone wants to, to look at those at ortho.ufl.edu. Anyone's free to re- reach out to me with any questions. Hey, I really appreciate it. What about you, Chris? Give them some information and, and some resources for, from you. All right. So um, I'm, I'm mainly on Facebook. Uh, Light Tower Baseball Training is my page on that. Um, you can email me at, at um, cmarlopt, so C-M-A-R-L-O-P-T, as in physical therapist, at gmail.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, Light Tower Baseball Training. Uh, I'm outside of the Gainesville area. I also do a lot in Orlando. Um, uh, so, yeah, I'm always available, uh, willing to help any you know anybody who wants to learn. So, any any last words from you, Chris? Uh just just just. Uh, I think I've said enough. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot more topics we can go into, but I know we're all short on time. So, I mean, hopefully we can revisit this again. But I mean. Yes. Any last words to, like I said, those kids out there that are either really confused or um, just need, yeah, need some guidance? I think, unfortunately, in this industry, these kids really need guidance. Yeah, I mean, let your body be your feedback. You know, if you're throwing and you're feeling pain, something's wrong. Something's going wrong. Um, if you're throwing and you're having trouble moving a certain way, then you need to maybe work on that. Uh, work, work on your weaknesses. That's one thing about baseball. Everybody wants to work on their strength. Try to work on your weaknesses. What are you having trouble with? Um, I do a little drill where, you know, I have the kids standing in the middle. I put a cone out to the side on each side of them, a cone in the middle and a cone diagonal. And I have them just kind of run to the cone, turn and try to throw straight to a target. So they're kind of working different, uh, getting their body moving in a different direction. Because at the end of the day, it starts from the bottom up. We've got to get our, we've got to become better movers before we be, we can become better throwers. And Dr. Farmer, last words from you. Like, I'd be curious to hear your take on where the industry is going, um, and, and what do you think the future of is it, it is, and, and specifically in what you're trying to do with with the industry. Yeah, and I think I think this whole podcast is sort of kind of really focusing on on the direction. You know, like I said, five years ago when I had a player who, uh, as you kind of similar to your story, a player had both hips injured and ended up with a Tommy John. It really was eye opener to me that we know we need to do look further down the core. And I, and I think we're going to see even even more improvement in, in velocity and reduction as we further um, elucidate uh, the interactions of, as Chris mentioned, the D, the ankle, 
Um, I, I know Chuck also in Orlando, Chris mentioned, he's big in what's called the sub-tailor joint. That's the area below below the ankle. And so, you, you, you know, we're down to the big toe now. So, uh, yeah, I think just really looking at the entire kinetic chain and seeing how we can maximize this potential, I think, is, is certainly the, the future in, in, in trying to minimize injury and maximize uh, velocity. Well, awesome. Um, maybe we can do this again, guys, because I mean, I think there's a lot we could have talked about. We could have talked about like um, how the game is being played at, at different levels. Um, you know, the business of baseball, which you know, with travel ball and where it's gone, is is always a, a good topic. So maybe we can revisit this again. Would y'all be all for that? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready anytime. <laughs> all right. Well, cool. Well, guys, I didn't want to make it too long. I think we did pretty good. So I appreciate y'all having on and. Uh, We'll, we'll do it again, as I say. So y'all hold on the line. All right.